you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Mark chapter 1. Now, as you know, and as it's been announced a handful of times already, today is a very special day for our church. We had our children dedicated to the Lord, such a beautiful group of little children. Uh, today we're having our first baptism for 2016. And I know that there are, how many actually are you guys planning to get baptized today? Oh, right. Great. Right on. Awesome. So having concluded our major study through the book of Romans, I thought it appropriate today, since we had a weekend free, uh, to add to our series entitled Why. Now, in our Why series, we have periodically taken traditional things of the church. We have taken things that we practice as Christians, and we have gone all the way back to the bottom level and amassed ourselves, where did this come from and why do we even do this? We looked at why do we go to church? Why do we worship? Why do we pray? Why do we experience suffering? And then this morning, we're going to be adding to that series with this message entitled, Why Baptism? Why do we get baptism? And I'm going to be answering three very important questions that will be presented, which is, what is baptism? When should you get baptized? And why should you even get baptized at all? So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into point number one. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with. We thank you, Lord, for the children that were dedicated, those families that are dedicating themselves to raise their children unto the Lord. Lord, we pray for those that are going to be getting baptized today that you would bless them. We pray, Lord, for uh, the potluck and time of fellowship afterwards that you would bless that as well. But specifically at this very moment, we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and to the study of your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. Lord, we ask God that we would know that we don't just do things for the sake of doing them, but as Christians, we should be doing things that have their basis in the Bible, Lord, the foundations found in your holy scriptures. And so, Lord, today, as we look at the topic of baptism, give us a greater understanding. Give us a boldness, Lord, for proclaiming who we are as Christians. Lord, we pray for those that may be here this morning that do not know you personally. Lord, that they would come to know you in that personal way and find forgiveness of sins and hope and assurance of eternal life after death. And Lord, we pray, God, now that you would bless the remainder of our service and we ask for these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen. Now, water, point number one, which is what is baptism? Water has been used, as I'm sure you're all aware of, as a means of purification and washing, cleansing yourself. Uh, back in the times of Moses, the priests were given the Levitical law with laws of purification and how they would use water to purify themselves in order to minister uh, to the Lord. We see also in uh, the Old Testament, Naaman, if you remember him, the Syrian general who came and met with Elisha, and Elisha told him, because he was a leper, he said, he, he told Naaman, he said, dip seven times in the Jordan River and you shall be cleansed. And then you fast forward about 500 years or so and enters John the Baptist, as well as the New Testament definition and account of baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Peter wrote and he says, There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And this morning, we're going to see that baptism is more than a physical cleansing. It's spiritual. It's symbolic. And furthermore, it's recommended. And so, as I already had you turn there, if you've not yet turned there, Mark chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 1, verse 2, it says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Here in Mark, verses 2, verse 2 is from the book of Malachi, and verse 3 is quoting from the book of Isaiah regarding John the Baptist being the forerunner for the Messiah, whom we know as Jesus Christ. These were foretelling the times where John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Now, the word there, prepare, is the Greek word hetomazo, and it means, really, it comes from the oriental tradition of how men would be sent before kings to make sure that the roads were paved properly. Uh, If there were dips or potholes, they would fill them in. If they were broken down, they would repair them. If they were crooked, they would make them straight. And it's also the same word prepare that the Lord Jesus used where he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ, as that word signifies prepare, means that He is preparing, making your path to heaven straight. Now, some think that they can get there through good works. Some think that they can earn their way there or even purchase their way there. But Jesus actually says, I am preparing the path for you to get to heaven. I, He will go on to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So you and I are not able to travel the road to heaven for it is barricaded with our sin, our unrighteousness, our imperfection. So even as Jesus would prepare the way for us to heaven, John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. Now, just by way of a little historical content, this is a huge thing that's about to be read this morning. See, for 200 years, the nation of Israel had not had a single prophet. Not one man had been raised up that was proclaiming the word of the Lord. So after a 200-year period of silence, John the Baptist arrives on the scene. You look at your last book in your Old Testament, Malachi, there is a 200-year period between Malachi and the book of Matthew and what's going to be recorded even here in Mark. And it says in verse 4, Mark chapter 1, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John the Baptist, here it was. Here he was, armed with the Word of God, preaching this message, which wasn't new for the people. For hundreds of years, if the people of Israel walked away from God, someone would be sent saying, you need to turn back to the Lord. You need to repent from your sin and you need to turn to God. So this wasn't a new message that John the Baptist was preaching because they had heard it before. He was saying, repent, turn from your sin and back to the Lord. And here's another prophet sent by God proclaiming the word of God. The message of turning from sin and turning from the Lord. 
See, that's even the same for us today. You must turn from your sin in order to pursue the things of the Lord because you cannot follow your sin and Jesus Christ simultaneously. As much as we would like to be able to think that we could do that, you can't do it. So you're either following the Lord or you're not following the Lord. And so this message of repentance is important even for us today. But it says here in verse 4 that he was in the wilderness, this desert of Judah, the wilderness of Judea. This was the same place that King David hid out when King Saul was pursuing after him to kill him. This may even be the same wilderness where Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But one major thing to note here this morning is that John the Baptist started preaching in the wilderness. He didn't go where people were. Usually, when you're doing a church plant or you're starting a ministry of some sort, you need to have people. I know that sounds like it's a rocket scientist kind of concept, but you know, you kind of need to have people in order to minister to them. You know, you kind of look at, all right, what are the demographics? Are there other churches in the area? Do, and does anybody even live there? This had to be, and I believe definitely was an act of God. For who would have thought that a work of God could take place in the middle of nowhere with no people around? We could probably picture the Lord saying to John the Baptist, okay, I want you to go into Jerusalem and prepare them for the Messiah. Or if he was a church planter, I want you to go plant Vision City Church Los Angeles or Vision City New York or Chicago or Atlanta or Seattle or Miami or Paris or Tokyo or Rome. But instead, John, you're going to go start Vision City of the Boonies. And that's where I want you to go. That's where I want you to be. So John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Repentance is supposed to be the given for coming to Christ. To turn from your sin. See, a lot of people will feel convicted of their sin. And maybe you even here today have felt bad for doing something that was wrong. And you had what would be called a conviction or your conscience. But there are some people that might feel bad and they might think, oh, that was wrong or that wasn't the right thing to do and they never turn from their sin. It's very unfortunate. Oh man, that was so wrong. I can't believe that I did it. But they continue to perpetuate their sin. They never repent and turn from it. See, you cannot come to Christ without turning from your sin. And so if John the Baptist was going to be preparing the way for Jesus Christ, that's why he came saying, repent from your sin so you can be ready to meet the Messiah. Repent from your sin so that you might have a relationship with the God who created you. Leave behind the old ways, the ways of life that are displeasing to God so that you might be ready to meet the Lord. He also not only preached repentance, but this remission of sin, which in the Greek literally means a release from bondage or imprisonment. A release from the bondage or imprisonment of sin. To be trapped in sin. That's just the way that I am. And see, we're all born with a sinful nature. We're all born very, very capable to sin. Very, very capable of sinning. We can sin without any practice. We are just good at it naturally. But the Lord sets us free from that. That entanglement, that ensnarement. So no longer was this going to be an attempt to cover your sin. Like, hey man, I better have my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. 
I better try to do more good things so that God's happy. But the thing is, is that the good deeds never remove the sin. And that's the problem even today, because you ask anybody, hey, how do you get to heaven? They'll say, well, you got to be a good person. Good people get to heaven. And then you ask yourself, well, if we're really honest with each other, how, where's like that line that, that divides, you know, the good people from the bad people? I mean, is that just something we make up in our minds? And in my own mind, I think, yeah, I've kind of shifted into the good people category now. Or, you know what, I lied, so I've slipped now into the bad category. Where is that? It becomes relative to everyone. And that's why we see even from the Bible that it's not about trying to be good or bad. It's about being forgiven because you have faith in Jesus Christ. So baptism has everything to do with repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. Yet the act of baptism does involve being immersed in water. In Ephesians 4 verse 5 it says there is one Lord, there is one faith, and one baptism. In Colossians 2 verse 12 it says you've been buried with Jesus in baptism in which you also were raised with Him. Through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So when you're baptized, you're identifying with the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what's happening. So when you say, hey, I want to be baptized, you first have to repent from your sin in order to have faith in Jesus. And then when you're baptized, you're saying even as Jesus was laid into that tomb, And then he was raised again. So when I am baptized, that symbolizes the grave, the water. And then when I come up out of it, it is symbolizing newness of life. And even as Jesus was raised from the dead, so I too am raised into new life because of my faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old things have passed away and all has been made new. Thank you, Jesus, that I have been made new. I'm forgiven of my sins. All those things that I have done that were wrong, you know, the baggage that I carried with me my whole life that wrapped around this building five times. It was greater than LAX and John Wayne combined. Like all of it has been removed and I have been forgiven and I've been made righteous in the sight of God. This leads us to our second point. So what is baptism? Yes, it's immersed in water. Yes, it has everything to do with repenting and turning from your sins. It is a symbolic act before God. You're identifying with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And point number two is when should you be baptized? When should you be baptized? Maybe you've wondered about that. Maybe you have uh, uh, said, well, you know, I was baptized when I was an infant. And I'm good. Uh, maybe I was. Uh, my family, uh, before uh, uh, going to Calvary Chapel back in the, in the early uh, 80s, late 70s, uh, were a part of uh, the Lutheran church. And, and you have the christenings and you have the little things that we do in different religions for infants. And even, you know, with our own church. Uh, we, we don't do infant baptisms, but we do dedications unto the Lord. And I'll explain a little bit more about that as we look at this second point. When should you be baptized? In verse 5, it says, Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to John the Baptist and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So John was sent by God to the wilderness, and then God brought people to John. The people came wanting to be free from their sin. 
And when you talk to people, just maybe your neighbors or people at the grocery store or on your team or wherever, you know, and people are struggling with addictions or bondages or ways of thinking that are, that are corrupted and, and they want to be free from sin. When people understand that my sin separates me from God and that if I'm separated by my sin from the Lord, then when I die, I'll remain separated. People get concerned about that. They say, well, I don't want to spend my life separated from the Lord. I want to spend my life in heaven. I want to be with Him. I want to be free from my sin. I don't want to be controlled by the worst part of who I am. I want to be free. And some people, and maybe even you today, might say, well, I'm not, I don't have a problem with sin. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a slave to sin. How are you going to try to tell me that I need to be free from the bondage of sin, the entanglement, the imprisonment of sin? Well, this is what Jesus said in John 8, 34. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And I'm pretty sure that all of you, including myself, have sinned at some point in your life. Even if I were to ask you to raise your hand and say, how many of you have sinned here today? I'm sure all of you would raise your hand. And then those of you that wouldn't, you're lying in church. And that's not the way it should be. No, that we've all sinned. The Bible actually says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no perfect people. We have all made mistakes. We have all done things that are wrong. But you know the remarkable thing about that? Is that God knowing all of those sins we would ever commit before we were even born still sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. This isn't behavior modification. This isn't try to clean your life up and be presentable to the Lord. This is only accomplished through faith in Jesus. Now, as I was saying, some people will have, you know, those infant christenings and, you know, whether Catholics or Lutherans, to name a couple, where infants are baptized into the church. And when those infants grow up, they say, well, hey, man, I was baptized when I was a baby, so I'm good to go. I'm cool before the Lord because I was baptized. Now, as we've had children dedications to the Lord, and really as we call them family dedications, where a family is committing to raise their children unto the Lord, uh, we don't practice infant baptisms because of this. Infants are not aware of their sin or their need for repentance. Mind you, their parents are at a very early age. They know all about that. But the child is not. The child is not. In verse 5, it says that the people came to be baptized and they were confessing their sins. So when are you to be baptized? Well, if you're old enough to understand what sin is and how it affects your relationship with God, that's a great place to start. That might be younger for some of you or older for some of you. But the key is, is like, I need to understand that I have sinned and I want to turn from that sin. And that repenting from my sin enables me to put my faith in Jesus because I must turn from my sin to follow after the Lord. And so they came to John confessing their sins. For you to get baptized without repenting of your sin, it profits you nothing. If you're to get baptized and you are never, you've never turned from your sin to the Lord, that is not helping you at all. Because baptism doesn't save you. There are some churches today that will teach, however, the antithesis of this, that unless you are baptized, you're going to hell. They will teach that if you're not baptized, then you're going down below. This is completely unscriptural. 
Because in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In Acts 16, 31, they said to the Philippian jailer, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So as the disciples were there imprisoned and the, the, the earth shook and the gate swung open and he says, what must I, the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And for those of you that have come in contact with somebody from a church that tells you, unless you're baptized, you're going to hell. Uh, listen, we want to communicate in love with people and hopefully that we're doing it in a biblical way and saying, what does the Bible say about this? And I've always presented the scenario to people that have come at me saying, hey, you know, you're not teaching that baptism equals salvation. You say, well, you're absolutely right. And I would always present them with this scenario. Let's just say, God forbid, you were a Christian. You put your faith in Jesus. You repented and turned from uh, your sin. And now the God forbid appropriate part is that you died on the way to the baptism. Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And I'm hoping all of you here today would say, well, is that a trick question? No, is that you would go to heaven because faith in Jesus is what saves you. Baptism does not. If I put my faith in Jesus, repent, turn from my sin, then I publicly am declaring that I identify with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me of my sins. I'm a new creation in Christ. And now I'm telling the whole world through baptism publicly that I'm a follower of Jesus. So if you're saying that there's something more that saves you than faith in Jesus, then we would be in great error. In verse 6 it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now no doubt you can imagine that John the Baptist attracted a lot of attention. He lived in the desert. He wore camel hair clothes. He ate locusts and wild honey. He had crazy eyes and wild, poofy hair. Well, we actually don't know that from the text. That's actually from every Jesus movie that has ever been made. (laughs) And it says in verse 7 that he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John seemed to have the right perspective on his ministry. John the Baptist was sent by God to be an ambassador for the Messiah, for Jesus. And so often there are people in ministry that forget their place, like they don't know their role. Have you ever told somebody, you need to know your role? Sometimes pastors need to hear that when they think that it's all about them and not about the Lord. John the Baptist was not the Messiah, but was to represent him and to prepare his way for the true light that is Jesus Christ. Now, Some of you thespians may, from your times in uh, play growing up, or even now if you're a performer in Shakespearean days, uh, limestone was heated up to incandescence and so that it would glow and shine on the stage and illuminate the performers that were on the stage. 
And when you came to watch a performance, you never were like, oh man, that's an amazing limestone that's lighting up the performers. You were always looking at those that were, you know, uh, performing their, their lines and, 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 and entertaining the group. You never looked at the spotlight or even let's fast forward to our modern age where, you know, maybe we have some spotlights in, up, up, up in the upper areas of, of the uh, concert hall and you never come in and be like, whoa, that's just an amazing spotlight that they have up there. The point that I'm making is that when you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ as John was, he was the one shining the light on the true star. The one that was the one that we wanted to know and wanted to see and wanted to know more about. That was Jesus Christ. He was not the light, but he was pointing to Jesus. He wasn't the performance, but was meant to bring light to the performance. John couldn't give the people the light in the darkness or life in their death. But Jesus could. And even today, I'm sharing with you that if you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, maybe you got wrangled in because you have a niece or a nephew that was getting dedicated today. Or somebody's getting baptized and you're like, okay, I know this is a big deal for you. I'll show up to church. But if you're here and you do not know Jesus personally, it's not accidental that you're here today. That the Lord knows everything about you and He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you wouldn't have to fear what happens after death. You wouldn't have to live with the guilt and the baggage of your past mistakes because you could find that there's forgiveness of sin and acceptance in Jesus. So John bore witness to that true light, the light which gives light to every man coming into the world, even as I do for you today. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what He's done for you. So, when should you get baptized? Very simply, after you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior by repenting of your sins. And listen to me carefully. Baptism doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus does. So now thirdly and finally, we ask this question, why baptism? So we looked at what is baptism? When should I get baptized? And so why, I mean, why do we even have baptism? Why baptism? Well, in verse 9, it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased so why should the follower of jesus be baptized why should you take time to do something like that well i mean maybe you've been a christian for a long time and you never really saw the point of like why should i be baptized i mean you know i'm already saved i already have faith in jesus well from verse 9 through 11 let me give you three quick reasons as we conclude our study this morning for why you should be baptized number one right off the bat Jesus was baptized. Jesus was. This is a very good response, I think, to why should we be baptized? Because if Jesus was baptized, and we're a follower of Jesus, then I want to do what Jesus did. I should be baptized as well. So Jesus set the precedent. He set the example. He came to uh, John, and John actually tried to forbid him. He's like, hey, no, no, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, said, this is necessary for righteousness to be fulfilled. You know, this is the right thing to do. So Jesus set the example. 
Secondly, Jesus commanded baptism. So not only did he do it himself uh, and, and participated in it, he commanded for people to be baptized. In Matthew 28, verse 19, he told his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so today, as you get baptized... You know, we'll baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not, ba- not because, oh, that's just the church's rule. No, because that's what it says here in the Bible. And that's an okay thing uh, to do what the Bible says. Now, for some of you, if you're extra sinful, we usually hold you down a little bit longer. <laughs> I- I'm totally joking about that. Don't freak out. That's not true at all. It's just a joke. Uh, but we'll, we'll baptize you in the water and, and we'll lift you out. And uh, remember, uh, oh, even as Jesus was laid in the tomb and then he rose again, this is symbolizing what Jesus has done in your life because you've repented and turned from your sin. And then thirdly, baptism glorifies the Lord. So not only was Jesus baptized, not only did Jesus command for us to be baptized, but it brings glory to the Lord. And just real quickly from verses 9 through 11, three things. The father delights in his son. In verse 11, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the Lord was well pleased with his son and what was happening there. So it pleases the father. Secondly, the son humbles himself before the father. And this is what I made reference of earlier. And I'll just read to you from Matthew 3 verses 14 and 15. John tried to prevent Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so. For now thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. John, it says here recorded in Matthew that, that John allowed Jesus to be baptized by him. So it it brings glory to the Lord because it's the right thing to do. So as a Christian, we strongly encourage you to understand that this is the right thing to do to be baptized. Like this is a good thing. And then thirdly and, and finally, it says in verse 10, it says, immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. This is something that we see now three things where the Father delights in the Son, we see that it's humble, humbling where it's, we come before uh, the person that's baptizing, usually a spiritual leader in the church, and most importantly before the Lord, and we say, I, I'm professing publicly that, that I, I am a sinner and that God has forgiven me, and I am identifying with the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this is what I want to do, and it brings glory to the Lord. So it's something that we see that the Lord delights in. It's something that involves our act of humbling ourselves before the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit glorifies. It's one of those things where it glorifies the Lord. And when we see people that are publicly living their lives as Christians, it brings God glory. And that's what we want to be doing as followers of Jesus. And so that is our what, our when, and our why for baptism. And that concludes our study here this morning. So would you please join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have uh, given us your scriptures, that we might have uh, an outline, a guideline, direction for how we are to live our lives and what we're supposed to be doing that pleases you. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus is that example for us today, yet again. And Lord, I ask God that if there are any here that do not know you personally or have walked away from you, Lord, that today they would put their faith in you. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, if they're dealing with uh, sin, and maybe they're like, oh, I'm not that bad. Lord, you say in your word that if you commit a sin, you are a slave to sin. And Lord, it's the sinful nature that needs to be dealt with. And so if there are any here, Lord, that maybe they were baptized as a kid, maybe they grew up going to Sunday school, or maybe they weren't any of those things, but Lord, they're here today understanding that it's only through faith in Jesus that they might enter into heaven as Jesus prepares the way. They can't prepare their own way. No one else can prepare it for them. It is Jesus alone. And I pray, Lord, today that they would make that decision to put their faith in you. I ask, Lord, if there are any here that have walked away from you, Lord, maybe at one time in their life they would be considered as being on fire. Man, I'm following Jesus and I want to do what pleases him, but that fire has faded. And Lord, maybe from a collection of choices, they have found themselves in a place where they are barely holding on or they're not walking with you at all. I ask God that they would come back to you today. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you would like to be forgiven of your sins, there is not a greater time than right now to have your sins forgiven, to have a relationship with the God who created you. And so I'm going to invite you with every eye closed and head bowed that if you've never given your life to Jesus and you would like to today be forgiven of your sins, would you just raise your hand wherever you're at and hold it up so I can see it, so I can pray for you right now? Would you just hold your hand up and say, yes, that's me. I'd like to give my life to the Lord. Anybody else, just hold your hand up. And then also, if you're here and you've walked away from the Lord and you need to come back to Him today, maybe you've kind of been going through the motions, but your heart's far from Him. Maybe you have an outward appearance of being okay, but inside it's not okay. The Lord sees those things. I'm going to invite you to repent, turn from that stuff, and start fresh today. If that's you and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, would you please raise your hand as well so I can pray for you right now. Just hold your hand up, every eye closed, every head bowed. Just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you right this moment. And if you're watching online too as well, you can raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hands. Lord, some coming to you for the first time, some coming back to you. I ask, Lord, that you would please now help them as they commit their life to you. Lord, you see everything that's going on in their lives. And Lord, I ask, God, that today you would be so real to them. And I, I don't need to defend you, Lord. I don't need to prove you. Lord, I know that you can do that all by yourself, and I ask that you would do that with your sons and daughters at this time. And I ask for these things in Jesus' name. And for those of you that raised your hands, and even if you didn't, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer, and I'm going to ask that you would just repeat this prayer after me, and mean it in your heart, and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, and fill me with your Holy Spirit, I thank you that you loved me, even knowing everything about me. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done here today. We pray that you bless your people, Lord. We pray that you would bless us, strengthen us, 
Empower us, Lord, for the week ahead. And Lord, may we be those men and those women that you've created us to be, Lord. We ask, God, that you would do these things in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen.